would like for you to pause a moment. We will probably be looking at our text at the conclu conclusion of this thought. Psalms 23 is a very, very powerful scripture that most of us know we can quote. And as I begin a journey this morning, let me tell you about this journey. I'm going to talk about how to keep the bubble in the middle. How many today that means absolutely nothing to you whatsoever? How to keep the bubble, that term, that phrase, that, that how to keep the bubble in the middle. I watched this morning on headline news as 400 words have been added to our dictionary this year. And so we are certainly a generation of change and words like oops has now made it to the dictionary. Words like sexting has now made it to the dictionary. It's kind of uh, ironic. Some of the terminology that's been added to our dictionary are, are things we probably would, the church would rather not see happen in society. But it's there. It is what it is. And we are a generation, I believe, a generation of breakthrough. The word says that one generation shall declare thy works to another and observe thy mighty acts. And thank God for a generation that's walking in miracles, walking in signs and wonders, wanting to see God move in a special way. A few days ago, Pastor Ron and Christine made a house call. We rarely make house calls, but we did. We made an exception, and we went. And we went to pray. We went to minister. And Pastor Ron, as she was praying, she could hear Christine in the background praying in tongues. How cool is that? Ten years old. We had to put that Webster's Dictionary, praying in tongues. New new terminology that's going to touch the nation, going to bless and move in a, in a mighty way. How many has ever looked at a painting and it was obviously crooked and it just bugged the dog out of you? Where, where's our, and you went back the next day and it was crooked again. How many has ever taken upon themselves to go and straighten the painting just for your own because, because you could? When you, when you talk about keeping the bubble in the middle, it is a terminology for and most many contractors will call a level a whiskey stick because in this extended six-foot, eight-foot piece of, of material, either wood or metal, there is in the middle a little, a little level with a little fluid in this tiny capsule, and there's two marks. And the, the idea of the level is to keep the bubble in the middle. So whether you are building a house or whether you're building a pool or whether you're, you're laying foundation, it's important that you have a level. It's, it's important that things on the, on the horizon look right because when they're not right, things really mess up. I was thinking about things that need to be balanced. I think about the tires on your car. Uh, if you're like my wife, she loves to four-wheel. She loves to jump curbs. She loves to run over mailboxes. Uh, she thinks the Lexus is a four-wheel drive Hummer. And she drives it like a Hummer. And every once in a while, we just go to Lexus and we say, will you align the wheels? And, I, and they say, well, does it need? I said, will you tell me? And, and the guy will come back and say, tell your wife this is not a four-wheeler. This is a two-wheeler. And try to keep it in between the, the mustard and the medics on, on the road. And of course, many of you know that I am not teasing that, uh, that uh, she, she, she's a great driver. And we, we, we'll have fun with that. And I'll pay for it later, I'm sure. But I, when I think about things that are, that, are, that, are, that are out of balance, I think about the ice cream maker. Most of you know that I made about 40 gallons of ice cream this summer. I made two gallons Wednesday night. Was that good? Was my blackberry ice cream, my peach mango good? And, you know, if you put the, if you put the container uh, where it's not on the little divot in the, in the ice cream container and you plug the thing in, oh, it'll run. But it won't run for long, and it runs, and it could actually hurt you. My ice cream maker could actually hurt you. It, it'll get away. And come and hurt you. It's important that things are balanced. When I think about the Church of Jesus Christ, I've watched such such an extreme 
go from one end of the spectrum to the other. Being raised, you've got to realize that I was raised in a Pentecostal church where it was necessary to preach the clothesline. Most of you cannot relate to the clothesline, but there was a generation that felt like that outward appearances and the lack of makeup or the lack of jewelry, the, the presentation of dresses down to your ankles, down to your wrists, up to your neck, that was considered godly and that was considered spiritual. And I have been in services where I've heard, where I've heard preacher hammer a dress code and say that you can't wear this, you can't wear that, you can't put this on your face, you can't do that. My attitude is if the barn needs a coat of paint, paint the barn. Hello. I know when we've done television several times, they will come in. And you guys know I'm metrosexual. I'm in touch with myself. I don't have any problems with my identity, what I am in the kingdom. But when they come in there and want to put eyeliner and shadow on my eyes so I'll look better for television, I say bring it on. I mean, if the wife can wear makeup, why can't I wear makeup? I got a new piece of jewelry today, my, my beautiful cross here, my new, my new jewelry. I mean, come on, come on. If it's good enough for the girls, it's good enough for the guys. I remember when I preached one of my... Oh, it's not good enough for the guys. <laughs> I remember when I preached one of my first revivals, and I'm being very serious, and, and again, I was raised my entire life in, in the Pentecostal denomination. When I preached my first revival, Simi Valley, California, I did a lot of prayer lines, and I saw God do a lot of miracles. I'd ask people what they need. I would pray and ask God to do it, and if God didn't do it, we ask again. We stayed there till something happened. Can anybody relate to those altar services? And I had a young lady come up, and she had a, a real cool matching, matching pantsuit. She had pantsuit, and she had a, a, a coat and a nice blouse, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, she wants to get saved. She's going to ask for salvation because she's a sinner because she dresses like sinner's dress. And so I asked her, I said, what do you want God to do for you? And I'm getting ready, you know, to pray the sinner's prayer. And she said, I'd like to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm thinking, you know, conversation with God while you're talking to her, it's pretty difficult, but I'm multitasking. I can make it happen. And so, and so I'm talking to God. I said, God, this woman needs salvation. And God said, who says she needs salvation? I said, well, God, I do. He said, well, why do you say that? Because of the way she's dressed. And I promise you, God said, man looks on the outward. God looks on the heart. You know, when I was a godless heathen, no one cared that I didn't wear underwear. When I was a godless heathen, no one cared that I didn't wear socks. No one cared what brand of cigarettes I smoked. Come on now. No one cared how I got the drugs in my body. I, mean, I just wandered around. Nobody really cared what vehicle I drove. But the day after, look at somebody say the day after, the day after I became a Christian, everybody had an opinion. Everybody said, well, you need to cut your hair. You start wearing socks. You start going to church. This church, you need to act like this, you need to be like that. Listen, God is not a cookie-cutter God. He didn't have one particular mode, and he stamps us all the same way. We are unique and different, and we've, we've learned that. And so as we were able to go to, uh, to Dallas this past week, it was an honor to be a part of a, of a precious wedding and then to stay over and minister. But we were supposed to leave Thursday morning at 8 a.m. I had an appointment with my accountant. He promised he'd be, be done at 10. At 2.30, we get on the road, and Pastor Rhonda is out of there. I mean, she has one, one goal and one goal only. She's going to make it West Monroe, Louisiana, before 7 o'clock at night. And so we're blowing down the road, and I decide, you know what? I'm just going to get in the back seat and watch a movie. So I got in the back seat, and I watched a movie, and I was having such a good time. I put another movie on. I'm right in the middle of Doc Hollywood. I'm having a blast, and all of a sudden, it feels like Pastor Rhonda is driving around the park, is driving around the parking lot. And, and, I, and I ask her, I'm laying on my back in the back seat watching this movie, and I ask her, what are you doing? What, 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 why are you driving around? The, what's going on? 
And she said, you don't say a word. I said, what? She said, I just pulled over and filled the gas car up with gas, and you sat there and watched your movie. And now I'm getting a tea at Chick-fil-A. I go, you pulled over and filled the car. The I said, you've got to be kidding. She said, no, I'm not kidding. Don't talk to me. And so for the next 100 miles, <laughs> for the next 100 miles, there was no communication. But I was so, I was so engrossed. I was so engrossed in that. Anyway, we make it. Western Monroe spent a wonderful time, a couple hours with family, drive to Dallas, go to Waco, have an incredible day in Waco. And that pastor's a, a dear friend. And then Monday, we, we were able to squeeze in. Pastor Rhonda's sister and brother-in-law both were celebrating their birthday. So we were able to squeeze, squeeze in an hour at Chick-fil-A. And there we spent some time fellowshipping and just talking about things that, 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 that pastors and preachers talk about, just wanting to know that we're being effective and we're communicating and, and we're really making a difference. We're talking about things that are relevant. And uh, Terry, uh, Pastor Rhonda's my brother-in-law, began to talk about something that he shared that Sunday. Terry's getting ready to celebrate 25 years in full-time ministry, has two phenomenal sons. I doubt that either son ever experimented with drugs or alcohol, married two beautiful brides, godly kids. Terry's son graduated the top of his class, regent, school uh, uh, president of the student body, uh, is now over the school there. Incredible church. It's a great church. Uh, they're great people, and they got a, they got a great ministry going on. And as Terry began to share some things that he shared Sunday morning, I said, man, I wish I had a copy of that CD. And Terry said, you know what? I just happened to bring one with me. Now, we don't trade, we don't trade back and forth. That's not something that, that, that we do a lot. So I said, well, we're going we're gonna to listen to it. So on the way home, we listened to it. And it was a great word on per persistent faithfulness. And if you'd like to hear the entire word, you can go to Family Church Media, and you can pull it up, and you can watch the whole thing, and you will be blessed. A lot of the thoughts that I have today put together came from our conversation and came from his teaching. So I want to give him credit and I want to thank him for telling me that I too can wear spandex. I thought he'd lost a lot of weight, looking trim, looking good, but he informed the congregation that he was wearing spandex. So next week I'm going to have spandex on. So you guys will think I've lost that. T is it called Spanx? Well, thank you, Pastor Rod. See, I, I can do anything without her. I mean, we're, we're attacked. Spank. I apologize, Terry, for getting it wrong, and I hope that you're enjoying this because I intend to send you this DVD as you sent me yours. We'll kind of trade out a little bit. So when, when, we, when we talk a little bit about persistent faithfulness, one of the first things he opened with, and I thought it was good, it was so good that I, I wrote it down, and I'm going to share it with you, but Pastor Ron and I are getting ready to go to a marriage conference Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning in Savannah. So I thought if you didn't mind, it would take three minutes and practice on you some of that material. Is that okay? Husband and wife get married. Come back to their honeymoon. She prepares her first meal for him, sets him down, puts all the stuff there to, to, to eat. And then she tells him before she serves him, now listen, my mom only had time to teach me how to cook two things, meatloaf and apple pie. He said, okay. She served him. He looked at his plate, looked up at her and said, which one is this? Well, that's a weak response. You're going to do better than that. I, I'm not going to stop telling jokes until you laugh. Husband and wife on the way to Tel Aviv. The airplane gets hijacked by terrorists. They lose everything they've got. They're sitting on the runway with absolutely nothing. The man is disparaging. We have lost everything. We're broke. We can't even get back home. And the wife says, we're not broke. He said, what do you mean? And she held in her hand a diamond necklace, diamond earrings, and a diamond ring. He said, where did you hide that? She said, in my mouth. He said, my God, if your mom would have been here, we could have saved the luggage. 
Now, was that a little better? Was that a little better? So you realize early marriage, mid-marriage, at the end of marriage, uh, a gentleman feeling rough, feeling bad, wife took him, been married several years, took him to the doctor. Doctor ran full set of tests, come in the room and said, I've got the results of the test. So she tells her husband to go sit in the lobby while she finds out what's wrong with her husband. The doctor said, listen, he's okay. He said, he just needs some TLC, some little romance, a little smooching, a meal or two, just, just some kindness, just, just, he'll be okay. So she walks out in the lobby and the man said, what'd the doc say? And the wife said, he said, you'd be dead in a week. <laughs> anyway, I'll get, I hope I get a little better response than that when I share that in Savannah. This is something that you may or may not want to write down. Thank you, Pastor Rhonda, for that courtesy left. I appreciate that. This is something I'd like, I like for you to write down. Doing life God's way is easy. And then add the word or the words at times. Doing life God's way is easy at times. If you've ever been part of a youth camp, whatever age you were, whatever era that you participated in, spoke at dozens, been to dozens, met Pastor Rhonda at a youth camp, felt the call to preach at a youth camp. Youth camps are very special to me. It was a time of intimacy, time of friendship. You make lifelong friends. If God touches you, God speaks to you. You're, the pressure of, of, of adults are not there. You worship God uh, with, with, with your peers. And, and, and serving God at youth camp is easy. And then when you come back from youth camp, that, that window there, the next several weeks, the next several months, obviously God touched our kids at youth camp. You know why? Because they were ready when they went. They were ready for a move of God. They expected God to move. Parents were fasting. Parents were praying. God moved. And now they're affecting their school. The Bible says, ask of me, God says, ask of me, and I'll give you a nation as an inheritance. Well, why not ask him for Bradley High School? Why not ask him for Cleveland? Why not ask him for, uh, where did you graduate from, Ashley? Walker Valley. Why not, why not, God, why can we not be a generation that sees a revival come to our high schools? Angola is one of the worst prisons right now in the nation. There is a revival taking place in Angola. 450 convicts have already been licensed ministered of the gospel. That prison is turned on to Christ. I mean, God is moving in su such a special way. The ward has commented in the news media. He can't explain it. I can explain. Jesus said, when I was in vi prison, you came and visited me. There's a, there's a move of God happening in the prisons of our, of our nation. They're turning to God. Different countries are experiencing revival. I believe America is waking up, and I believe America is going to see a great revival before the second coming of Christ. But it's easy to serve God in a youth camp, in a youth camp atmosphere. It's easy to serve God at Christmas time. The, the packages are on the tree. You know you're going to eat. You know you're going to have fun. You're going to get up. If you didn't get what you wanted, you're going to go buy what you wanted. Hello, that's the best Christmas of all. And so it's easy to serve God at Christmas time. You know, when we do Queen for a Day, and if you're a part of that, and you see 110 ladies drastically changed. Their whole world is rocked as they see the love of God, some of them for the first time. Man, it's easy to serve God in that ambiance, in that atmosphere. It's, it's, it's easy. I mean, there's just something about it. In our conferences, we usually only have two guests a year, Billy Burke and Perry Stone. And we're trying to work it out that both of them could be at this conference this, this year, but it's not going to happen. 
But we have been blessed. Our church has been blessed by our, our revivals, our seminars, our crusades. We've been blessed by our guests. And when Billy Burke starts praying for people and they start getting healed, it's easy to live for God. It's easy to get excited about a move or, or the things of God. Can anybody relate with me in, in, in this building? It's, e it's easier around that a time of, of life to be what God wants us to be. I got some notes here. When God moves on Sunday morning and you actually feel his touch, it's easy to lift your hands in response and feel his love and find a place where you can be intimate before the Lord and you can speak to him, know that he's listening, and he will speak back to you. It's easy sometimes to be close to God when you're desperate for God. We used to sing that song, I'm desperate for you. And usually the word desperate means you're going to be here on time. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> Desperate means you're going to submit to the worship and you're going to get caught up in the ambiance and you're going to be a part of the puzzle, not to fit in, but to fit together. And you're providing that voice, you're providing that testimony, you're providing that song, and all of us are working together. The musicians are working, the soundmen are working, the prayer team's working, the praisers are praising, the singers are singing. And how many knows when you're in that kind of service, it's easy to live for God when you're desperate, when everything's going good. The job is good, the wife is good, the kids are good. I mean, that's, a, that's an easy window in life to be what God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. Can anybody relate? Guys, when you catch the big bass, I mean, you kill the trophy deer. Ladies, when you find the deal of a lifetime, you've been shopping and now you're going to spend money and you, the, the deal of a lifetime. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to, to, to love God then and serve God then. You win the lottery. A guy went to the Lord and said, God, I promise you, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give you 10%. God was silent. He goes back to God the next day and says, God, I'm serious about this lottery business. If you let me win, I'll give you 50%. God is silent. The third day, he goes to God and says, God, I want to talk to you right now. If you let me win the lottery, I'll give you 90%. God responds. Buy a ticket. <laughs> Terry, I hope you got that because they obviously did not get that. I'll I'll share that for the Baptists. They'll get it. It's easy to serve God. It's easy to live for God when you're on vacation. It's easy to serve God when you got money to go to a movie. Hello, can anybody relate? It's easy to serve God when you're at the lake. You're looking at the mountains. You're looking at the water. There's no distraction. Your phone don't work. No interruption. You've got plenty of Red Bull. You're having a blast. It's just you and God and nature, and you're actually having fun. It's like it's easy to honor God because he made that lake. He made that, that, that everything that you're enjoying. It's easy to serve God when you've got extra to spend. How many can relate? You've actually got money. You got you got an income tax return, or you got a bonus, or you, you got blessed on the you got blessed on the job, or you're a boss and you've got some contracts that are coming through, or you're employing your 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 boss agrees that you need that bonus, you need that raise. It's easy to serve God then. It's it's fun to serve God when you sell something you think is worthless and you get a lot of money for it. Pastor Ron, a few months ago, went and got some coins, and, and I, I've had them a while, but I didn't realize they had any worth to them. And I think she took a handful of coins and sold them for about $800. Well, I didn't see $800, but I knew it blessed her, so I was blessed too. Can anybody relate? It's, it's, it pays the utility bill. That was, a, that was a good investment, Pastor Ron. Just don't sell my deer, gun, my deer rifle. I'll raise the money some other way. Come on. It's easy to serve God when you get a second chance. You mess up, you drop the ball, your wife forgives you, your kids forgive you, your husband forgives you, your boss does not fire you. He says, I'll, I'll, let you have the, I'll let you have the job back. 
I mean, it, it's easy to touch God. Am I relating to anybody in this building? I mean, it's, it's easy to serve God when you thought the transmission was bad and it's just a quart of oil. Hello, where are you? I mean, you're going to pay $1,800 for a new transmission. And the guy goes, you don't need a transmission. You just simply need a quart of oil. Man, that's a good, that's a good feeling. Come on now, help me now. What is so, what is so wild, and I hope, that, I hope that some of this makes sense. I've, I've got um, an illustration of your life, and I want everybody to relax. I'm not going to pour this on anybody. I'm not going to use any, any guinea pigs. This is an illustration that I, that I want to share. Let me share with you a little bit about where, where some of us live. Steve Williams, anybody know the name? Steve Williams, for 15 years, has been Tiger Woods' caddy. They've been, they've been connected for 15 years. A few months ago, Tiger fires him and goes in another direction with the caddy. Well, Steve Williams goes to caddy for Adam Scott, and a few weeks ago, Adam Scott, they won. They, they won the tournament. Adam Scott won the tournament. So they begin to interview Stephen Williams, and Steve Williams, got to realize now, has been with the greatest of the great, has watched Tiger win every championship there is, and some of them twice, has seen millions of dollars of endorsements. His name has been, he's been on national television, handing Tiger the right club, giving him the right counsel. So they interview Steve Williams. How do you feel today that you've, that, you've, uh, that you've won? He said, this is the greatest victory of my life. This is the greatest day of my life. And you look, at, you look at that comment and you say, wait a minute. You were with the best of the best. You ate the best. You traveled the best. You were, you were on television. I mean, everybody knew who Steve Williams, they, they know who you are. And, and, and one day you, can't, you caddy for someone else and this is the greatest day of your life. There are people that will work a job for 12 years, and that job will meet all their needs and meet everything that they, they, they need to spend. And they get mad, and they walk off that job, and they go to another job, and they're asked, how's your job? This is the greatest job I've ever They've been there a week. Oh, yeah, this is the, man, I'm, this, is, this is my destiny. This is where we're supposed to be. They've been a part of a church for 12 years. They learned everything there is to learn. They're out of debt. Their marriage is happy. Their kids are good. And they decide to go visit a church. Well, how was it? Oh, man, I was fed. I mean, that's, this, is, this is a God thing. Let me give you a note here. Past 21 years of ministry, anyone that approached me and said they weren't being fed today are not serving the Lord. I mean, I mean, I can go, and I did go. I went to a Baptist conference and got fed. Anytime two or three gather together in the name of the Lord and someone begins to minister songs or sung, you can get fed. You can get blessed. You just got to make sure you want to be fed. Come on, go ahead. Been married for 10 years. Awesome wife, awesome kids. Luther Vandross sings that song. If loving you is right, I don't want to be wrong. You know the story. Great voice, stupid song, wrong song, bad song. People walk away from a 10-year marriage, have a one-night affair. How was it? Oh, this is the love of my life. She is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. How many knows that that kind of observation, that kind of living, I probably won't help you today. But let me tell you how I can help you. Your life, and let's talk about the seasons of life just for a moment. There are four seasons of your life. Two of them are combined. And those are the season of spring and summer. In the spring, you plow. In the spring, you sow. In the, in the, in the spring, you begin to pull weeds. And then all summer long, you make sure that what you planted is watered. It doesn't burn out. It doesn't dry up. You watch it. And then in fall, there's a great harvest and you're blessed. And then the winter things kind of die, get dormant. So this right here represents, this represents your life. This is 100% of your life, 
in this container right here. This right here, this represents the 10% in the fall when things are good. Like, look, look how great that water looked. I mean, isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that look refreshing this morning? This right here represents, I was going to say your brain on drugs, but it's not. This represents the 10% of your life that things aren't so good. Some of the storm, some of the, some of the pit, some of the, I mean, does that look gross? Okay, so this is, this is, our, this is our life. We've got 80% of just life. Just stuff happens. And then we got 10% of our life that we are on the mountain. I mean, we're, we're hanging with God and the angel and everybody else. And then there's 10% of our life that we're kind of in a, in a barren, kind of in a, kind of in a dusty place, kind of in a, in a, in a bummer, kind of in, a, in the pits, if you want to call it. You want to call it the pits. This is, a, this is a season, even Christ. Christ spent 30 years of his life in obscurity. And then one year in popularity. And then one year into persecution. I mean, even Christ went through the seasons of life where things were just, they were there. You don't hear anything about Christ from the age of 12 and 30. We know we, he lived his life. We know he was faithful. We know he was a carpenter. We know he was good at what he did. We know that he never, he never married. But, but, but we don't know a whole lot about what, what he did in that, in that window. And that's life. Then we know about all the miracles, all the great things that happened, walking on the water, all turning the water into wine, feeding the multitude, the year when everybody wanted to be around him. Everybody wanted his book. Everybody wanted his tape. Everybody wanted him to come to their church. He was the hero. And then the year when they tried to trash him, kill him, trap him, try to throw him off a cliff, all the things they tried to do. But in that 33 years of life, one thing you learn about Christ then and now, he was consistent. Christ was persistent. Whether they wanted him or didn't want him, whether they received him or didn't receive him, he didn't change. He was saying yesterday, today, and forever. And there's something to be said about persistency. If we can show that clip, guys, if you'll help me real quick with the lights, I want to show you a clip concerning persistency. What were they thinking? Well, let's see what this one looks like. Let's go with the flow. Okay, go ahead and show it, guys. The wrong downloaded persistency. The wrong downloaded persistency. Let's play it. Well, give the Lord a hand. That was pretty cool. Do we have the giving up also? Let's play that too. Well, we're here. May as well. Lights are down. We've all tried to take on tasks that were a little too big for us to handle. It can be frustrating to work and work at something and not even know if you'll be able to finish it. But there's something you should remember when things get tough. I mean really tough. When it's so difficult you're about ready to give up. That's exactly when you should give up. There's no shame in giving up on challenging things because if man was meant to do difficult things then things would not be difficult to do. That's why the old saying goes, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. 
That means that when a situation gets tough, it's the truly tough people that are smart enough to quit and get going in the other direction. So don't worry about overcoming your challenges and persisting to the end, because if a job is worth doing, it's worth quitting as soon as things get difficult. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. Alright guys, if you'll bring the lights back up. Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Right out of town. Right away from the responsibility. Right after. You know, I think about, I think about people that we would relate to that have gone through some tough times, but they refuse to give up. Tiger Woods will come back. He will come back. He will be at the top of the top. It will happen. It's there. The, 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 the talent, the ability is there. What Tiger's focusing right now is on his character. So your talent and ability will take you to the top, but it will be your character that will keep you there. When I think of Sandra Bullock, Sandra Bullock this past year, some of the greatest highlights of her life, the Oscars, the thing that she won, and then to find out that her marriage was collapsed and destroyed and, 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 and completely gone. Sandra Bullock will not quit. She will keep being who she is and she'll keep pursuing what she does because she refuses to quit. When you watch American Idol, if you're a fan of American Idol, the people that win, they win because they're persistent. Because they're consistent, no matter what style the music is, no matter who the judge is, no matter how America votes, they keep doing the very best they can. And that is persistency. I've got a definition here of persistency from Webster. It simply defines persistent as having lasting qualities, especially in the face of disapproval, dislike, or difficulties. Not giving up untiring. Don't you like that definition? The definition of persistence is not giving up. Unfortunately, anytime you go through a storm or you go through anything in your life that you're trying to do well at, it is so easy to make excuses for your failures and mistakes. We judge others on their what they accomplish. We judge ourselves on our intentions. And we place ourselves kind of in a, in, in, in a shelf that really nobody wants to go. I mean, I mean, it's so easy to make excuses. I think one of the, the first excuses that we make, if it's easy, we're okay with it. But if there's any cost, if there's any effort, if anything that, that we've got to hassle, then we don't even try it. And then there's this, the excuse that we have of partial perseverance, where we jump in, we do great, and we begin to see things happen. And then all of a sudden, we have to kick it up a notch. We need to go to the next level. And it's like, well, we just give up. If you've ever run, and I did two years of my life, I ran varsity track. I had a UCLA scholarship I chose not to take. I went to law school instead. But I, I can remember track meet after track meet. It didn't matter who it was, what school we were competing against. There were always kids on the team that would fake an injury. They would fake a sprain. Or they, or they would act like, somebody, act like somebody ran them off the track. Or they would drop the baton. And, and there was always an excuse to bail out, not to finish the race, not to finish the course. Paul said to finish the race. He said, he said, don't be like the guy that shadow boxes, like the clouds that don't have water, the guy that shadow boxes the, 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 the shadows. Be the athlete that gets involved, that runs the race to the very end. Does that help anybody? And then there's always the spirituality uh, excuse. Pastor Jeff, what a joy to have you back on the platform and ministering. I, I, I love that today. But I think, about, I think about spirituality, and a lot of people say, well, persistence is not one of my spiritual gifts, 
So therefore, I'm not qualified or I'm not responsible to finish the task at hand. Can, any, can anybody relate? I mean, nobody wants to be around a quitter. Nobody wants to be a quitter. But we all make excuses why we didn't finish what we wanted to finish. And the Bible says it's better to never make a vow than to make a vow and break it. And I know right now our kids are on, on fire for God, and I know that I've committed no more honey buns. I've done pretty well. I promised this church Wednesday night I wouldn't smoke or drink. Uh, and I've, I'm done, I've done pretty good. I've been smoke-free, alcohol-free. And the kids are giving up things. But you know what? I don't know that God wants you to give up Facebook for a year. I mean, we've got about 1,000 people listening to this, this message a little later on in the afternoon. And it's like maybe there's maybe some things that God wants you to give up, but maybe once you give it up the rest of your life. Am I helping anybody in the house? I mean, so many people make commitments they can't keep. They make vows they cannot honor, and then when it then when it falls apart, it's like they, they get discouraged, they get disappointed, they get frustrated. Make vows that, that you know God has called you to make. Do things in, in, in proportion. Do things in balance. Don't be so far over here that you're one way or so far over here the other way because the world is watching your life. If the world wasn't watching your life, we wouldn't have gone from seven at prayer group this week to 31. That we would have three decisions for the Lord yesterday. We wouldn't have kids coming to public school and praying. They're watching your life. They're listening to your words. They're, they're watching your actions. Make sure that what you do, look at somebody and say, is in balance. God loves people that are balanced. God loves people that are faithful. I'm going to show you a few scriptures. Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Do we have it there, angel? Let's see what Ephesians 1.1 1, 1 says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, the will of God, watch this, to the saints that are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ. Notice Colossians 1 and 2. Here Paul is greeting the faithful, greeting the saints. Watch this. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ that are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Watch this. Paul is asking to be blessed with peace and grace. Why? Because they are faithful and they're the saints. Notice, if you will, 2 Thessalonians. I think I've got 1 and 4. Or 2 Timothy 1 and... No, that's supposed to be 2 Thessalonians. Give me 1 Timothy 3 and 2. Obviously, Paul loved the church, was long to see them. I'm sure they were faithful and consistent also. Uh, just choose one. I'll make it fit the sermon. <laughs> First Timothy three and two, verse eleven and twelve. Can we do that? First Timothy. First Timothy three. If you tried to read my writing, you would understand. Okay, watch this. The bishop therefore must be without reproach, the husband one wife, temperate, sober-minded, orderly, given that hop, os, hospitality, apt to teach. These are some of the qualifications. Have you got Second Timothy three and fourteen for me? Let's see that one. Or let's see what you got. Come on, big boy, show me what you got. Oh, there we go. These things I write unto thee, hoping to come to thee shortly. 1 Timothy 3 and 14. So obviously, Paul had a relationship with people in church that were faithful. Faithful and consistent. Do you know what consistency is? Is that every Sunday morning you know that Bryce and Sarah are going to be seated in those two chairs. You can, you can almost bet money they're going to be seated in those two chairs. You could almost bet money that Jerry and Linda are going to be seen in the second row, the end, that Kim and Everett are going to be. You, you, can, you, you know that Calvin and Chris are going to sit three rows deep. Leanne sits right behind the pastor. She used to. 
We lost her. Everybody, somebody check on her, make sure she's okay. Susie always sits in the second row, the second chair. Seth, you're using the very same play. See, that's what consistency is all about. If you're not at your place, if you're not doing what God has called you to do, we will never be what God wants us to be and we'll never do what God wants us to do. It's like going on the football field with 10 players. It's like playing baseball with eight. It's like taking on the Harlem Globetrotter with four guys or, or, or four. You get my drift? We're not going to win. We're not going to be consistent. We're not going to be effective until we learn how to be consistency, consistent. God is watching your life. God wants to honor you. God wants to bless you. I thought something very cute on the way to youth camp. I had, um, I think I had Christine, Alana, and Bailey in the back seat. And so we're driving to youth kids. It's a good little drive, about eight hours. And I'm sure they got bored and they just run of things to talk about. So they decided we would like to see a celebrity when we get to Panama City. How cool would that be to see a movie star, to see a celebrity? That was their heart. That was, that was what they wanted to do. But what was so cool, the next day, all the kids are around the pool. I walk into the pool, and some lady, 65 years old, says, Are you Hank Davis? I said, Are you the IRS? She said, No. I said, Yes, I'm Hank Davis. She goes, I just saw you on Daystar. And so I'm looking over the kids. You guys want to see a celebrity? Here we are, baby. We are here. We are. We're here. I thought, I thought how, how cool. Give the Lord a handcuff. He's watching your life. He honors you. He blesses you. He wants to use you. But there's something to be said about consistency. You know, it's easy to be consistent pretty much in this part of your life. It's real easy to be consistent in this part of your life. But when you don't know what to do, hello, when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you got to realize that it's in these seasons that you do the right thing. You get out of bed whether you feel like it or not. You go to the job whether you feel like it or not. I mean, if there's 365 days a year, very good possibility, you're going to have 40 days of awesomeness. You're going to walk around in the clouds. Hello, I'm here. Behold, I'm here. And, and, and everybody sees your life and sees your fruit and says, man, I wish I was like him. Man, I wish I had what they had. I wish I could do what they could do. I wish I had that car. I wish I had that necklace, a cool necklace. Rise of the cross. I, I wish I was cool like him. I wish I could do my toenails. I wish I had the guts to do my toenails and win people. I, hello. Then there are times of your life where it's like, man, this is the piss. This is the, I want to bail. I want to wake up next week. Hello. I'm going to sleep and wake up when things get better. Can anybody relate? Am, am I talking to anybody in the building? So, so, yes, we do good here. Yes, we're consistent here. But when the storms come, when the trials come, when the battles come, we talked about this week, two things never to ask for, ever, ever, never, ever. Never ask for patience, ever. Don't ever ask for patience because you're going to get it. I forgot this. The way you get it is through testing and trials and things going wrong and, and things all messed up. And again, a serious weightlifter will tell you no pain, no gain. There's a cost to accomplish what you want to accomplish. There's a cost to being a light in a dark place. There's a cost of being someone that when you speak, people listen, and they follow your counsel, they follow you. There's, there's, a, there's a cost to that. It's easy, kids, to have a bad hair day. Can anybody relate? Pimples, most important, I'm sorry, the most important night of your life, poof, there it is, like, oh, my. And, and, and you know better than to mess with it. You know better. You know this is not going to be good no matter how you mess with it. And you go ahead and mess with it. Now you got a wound. It's not a pimple. It's a wound on the side of your face. And you got to take your, and you got to paint. I mean, you got to figure, 
I mean, I mean, I mean, there's there's nothing worse than bad hair day. This morning I refused. I refused to comb my hair. I refused. I told Pastor Rhonda, I am not going to comb my hair. I'm just going to go. She said, well, there's a real bad flat spot. So I combed that flat spot down and I asked Christine, what? Christine goes, awesome. So, so, so here we are. There's going to there's be days in your life when the car's not going to start. There's going to be days when the lawnmower's going to have a flat tire. There are going to be days in your life when, hello, the, the, the debt collectors are going to call. 8.01 a.m. Sunday morning. Hello. See, they call before 8. You could sue them. But no, no. They're going to call. There's going to be bad things. Look at somebody and say, bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. It's going to, it's, it's going to take place, I promise you. I think it was Barry Manilow that did the song Feelings. With Barry Manilow. Feelings. Nothing more than. You know what? You can't go by how you feel. I was some, with some guys yesterday, and they were trying to figure out a way how to get off of work. I said, well, we don't want to lie. We don't want to, we're not sick. We don't call in sick. We're not, no one died. Call. I said, just do this. Tell them you're feeling low. <laughs> Even the face crew's croaking at that. I mean, I, mean, I mean, there are times in your life when you're not going to feel like it. You know what I've learned? You go shopping when you're sick. You go on vacation when you're sick. You go to work when you're sick. But come church time, oh, I'm too sick to go to church. Hello, you go to a full gospel church, there's a possibility you might find an elder. There usually one or two shows up on time that you can say, you know what, I'm not feeling good. And that elder been waiting all week to practice on you. He's prayed up, paid up, played up, ready to lay hands on you. And all of a sudden you get healed in churches like, Oh my God. And you and, and you act like it's unnatural to get healed in church. Oh my God, I don't have that headache anymore. I I, I found ten dollars in my wallet. It's a miracle. Come on, somebody help me in this house. Give the Lord a hand, clap a break. I don't feel good. It cracks me up. My parents, my parents never allowed anything to stop them from going to church. If we have family come over at church time, mom and dad would say, Hey. Food in the refrigerator, there's a remote for TV, we're back at nine. In our in our life this month, my dad just survived two cataract surgeries. My mom had eight inches of her colon removed, proclaimed cancer, that she had cancer. And I tried every single day to go over there. Every single day I tried to take them something. I just I, I would I would go over there, I would take a paranop, I would watch Jeopardy with them. I would I would spend time with them. But you know, in the season of that storm, I didn't miss a single service. I did not call the pastor and say, hey, I can't be there today. My mom has cancer. No, there's a word called balance. There's a time, there's a time for everything if you will balance your life correctly. But if your balance is out of whack and you miss the things that God has for you, the miss that you miss the door that God is trying to open, there are some things you cannot recover. Let me say that again. There are some things in, in a corporate anointing, in a court, when, when two or three gather in his name, begin to praise and worship in a corporate anointing, God moves in that anointing. He doesn't go to 410 Ash Drive and move in 410 Ash Drive. He didn't go to 1320 Bumblebee Way. And I hope that's not your address. I just pulled that out of a hat. He doesn't go, no, where they are gathered in his name, that's where he moves in that corporate anointing. Lives are changed when, when, when heaven meets the earth and we get caught up in the smack. How cool is that? When you go, into, go to an altar that God is kissing and God is blessing, doors can be opened. Prayers can be answered. A light can come on. Direction can come on. But it's not going to take place if you're at home flipping through the channels or you're too sick or you're doing something else. 
It's important to be in the house of God. The Bible says forsaking not the assembly of ourselves together, especially as we see that time approaching. Listen, our nation's in trouble. Our world's in trouble. We have governments going bankrupt. There's a decision made in our government at the deadline of this, of this debt thing. And had we not solved that problem, effort, nations that trust us, believe in us, have confidence in us, would give up. That's how important sometimes your life is. You're a light to somebody, and they need to see you. They need to know that, that you're there. They need to know that you're tangible, that you're, you're faithful, you're consistent. They're watching your life. They may not be doing all the right things, but you are their example. You are their hero. You've touched them in a way that, that they know that you're of God. Let me tell you something. When they, when they get sick or they get a, a bad report, it's not their beer-drinking buddies they call. It's not their poker-playing buddies they call. It's not their family they call. They call a man and a woman that knows how to pray, that knows how to get a hold of God. They watch you praise. They watch you worship. They watch you a part of the things of God. You touch their life. You are consistent. You are persistent, and God honors that. I have, upon my own, determined that there are five different types of Christians, parents in the world. I'll let you make your own determination where you fit in. But there are people in life that have a helicopter mentality. They hover over their kids. They, they never let their kids go out. They never let their kids do anything on their own. They're scared to death something's going to happen. They're scared to death they're going to, this is that, this is that. There are Christians that hover over things in the church, things that are sacred to them, like their seat. How dare you sit in their seat? How dare you? How dare you wear flip-flops in church? How dare you? How, how dare you have hair that touches your collar? Come on, they, 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 they hover. It's all about them. The music's too loud, the music's too soft, the preacher's too short, the preacher's too long, the preacher's too skinny, the preacher's too fat, the, the, the platform's too decorated, the platform's not decorated enough. They got candles everywhere. They don't have any candles. They got mouthwash in the bathroom. They don't have mouthwash in the bathroom. What kind of church doesn't have hand sanitizer? The reason we don't have hand sanitizer is because people like to drink it and get high. But they know high like the Holy Ghost high. They come to church on time, get touched by God. Who knows what God could do in their life? I'm preaching better than you're not right now. Helicopter. Helicopter Christians. Dry cleaner Christians. They drop the kids off at daycare. They drop the kids off at church. They drop the kids off at here. They drop the kids off at there. They're, they're, I'm sure they're working hard. I'm sure they're working several jobs. But, but, they, but they don't actually come in and get under the anointing. They drop their kids off. And you know what? They want the, the youth pastor in one hour on Wednesday to perfect their kids. And you let one thing go wrong, I'm going to find another church. I'm going to find a church that's got a better youth group. I'm going to find. No. You know what the kids would say? I wish I could trade my parents in for better parents. Come on. Help me, kids. Help me. Just nod at me there. Thank you, Johnny. I appreciate that. I wasn't preaching to you, Johnny, but I'm sure it touched your life. So we got the hovering parents. Then we got, then we got the Christians. They never show up. They never show up. They drop off their groceries. They drop off their tie. They drop off this. But, 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 but they don't show up. Then we've got the karaoke. The karaoke is the kind of person that wants to get along with everybody, wants to be their pal, wants to be their buddy. Listen, you're not their pal. You're their parent. There's a reason why God put them under your presence for you to watch and consistent and bless. And, and you can't always compromise everything and get along with everything. Every once in a while, you're going to have to stand up for something. You might stand up for something wrong, but at least you're standing. 
At least Peter attempted to walk on the water. At least he got out of the boat. Quit being one of those people that you just want everything to be hunky-dory. If the church goes past 12, you find another church. If the pastor preaches along, you find. Be careful with that mindset. We are not karaoke Christians. We are supposed to make a difference, not sing along. I mean, Seth proved that today. No music. No, I mean, it took a lot of guts. And half of it sounded pretty good. More than half. Thank you. Fourth type, fourth type of parent is the wannabe parent Christian. You never did good in sports. You never had good grades. So you live your life through your kids. Your kid's playing softball at the age of seven. They hate softball, but you love it. Your kids get straight A's. You know what? I got straight A's in college. You know what it benefited me? Absolutely nothing. No one ever wrote me a letter complimenting me. I didn't get a $1,000 perk. I mean, it, it did not. And I'm not saying, well, A's are important. B's are important. You know what? I want my kids having passing grades. So if I want to go to Hawaii, they can take off and go with me. Ooh, that went over. <laughs> okay. My last parent, my last Christian, is my absentee parent. My absentee Christian. There are people in life, they disappear for three months. They're gone. You have no clue where they are. They have a chair. They always sit at the same place. But you haven't seen them in three months. The word says in the last days, I'll turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. There's something about consistency. There's something about restoration. I'm working with a family that doesn't have any kids, can't have any kids, frustrated. And my attitude is, we got a bunch of kids at the church that come from single families single families there's no dad to teach them how to fish there's no dad to teach them how to ride the four-wheeler you'd like to do all that stuff there's no dad to teach them how to ride a jet ski or to swim or to ride a kneeboard quit quit complaining about what has happened in the past and be what god wants you to be and be a dad to somebody am i helping anybody in the house because i'm almost done i really am hebrews 12 do we have that one through four Hey, you're doing a great job holding up that wall. That's a great, doing great there. The Bible says, you shall stand by the wall and they shall talk of thee. And one day they realized that there was a prophet in their midst. Watch this. Wherefore, let us also, seeing we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 11 will tell you who those witnesses are, that we lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easy, watch this, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Do you ever notice what the enemy uses on you today? He used yesterday. Do you ever notice that unless you are really, really super spiritual, there are no new attacks against you? Now, David was defeating all the enemies of Saul. And the Bible says there was an enemy in the Philistine camp that made a new weapon, a new weapon. To take David out. The enemy had watched David in battle. The enemy knew his strategy. Knew if he's right hand or left hand. Knew which step he, which foot he stepped first with. He examined his enemy in battle. And he created a weapon to take David out. But before he could even wield that weapon against David. One of David's mighty men. Like a crazy man took his sword. And charged the camp. And cut people left and right till they got to the new weapon. And he took him out before the weapon was used against David. Paul thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. Today we were, today we were sparring 
I hit him with a cheap shot. He got mad, went to come after me. Brad stepped in the way, took the punch. How dumb was that? I appreciate it, though, because I didn't get the punch. Let me tell you something. No weapon formed against you shall prosper because Jesus has stepped in between you and the blow, and he's taken the punch for you. We can see this through. Next verse. It'd be verse 2. Two follows one. Looking unto Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, watch this, knowing he was headed to a place where he could connect with us, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. For consider him that hath endured such gainsaying of sinners against himself, that ye wax not weary, fainting in your soul. Encourage you to be strong in the Lord. Next verse. We'll conclude with this. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that every battle you will ever encounter, every sickness you'll ever walk through, every attack that will ever come against you, God has made a way of escape for you. Proverbs 4, 24 and 10, if you fail under pressure, then your strength is too small. Let me say that again. If you fail under pressure, then your strength is too small. How do I better my strength? How do, how do, how do I get myself in a place that qualifies me to do competition? Where's our com any, any computers in the house? I just reconnected with a guy that um, he is a Namchuk karate champion of the world. And I haven't seen him in four or five years. He lost his mom. He lost his dad. He was with us when John Jacobs was here. Nice looking guy. Ran into him. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm still working out. This guy has arrived. This guy is the best of the best. But every day he goes to that gym. Every day he lifts weights. Every day he goes to the cottage. Every day he goes to the punches. Every day he practices. Not, not, not because he wants to get better, but he wants to stay where he's at. And I believe that God gives us instruction that we can not just stay where we're at, but we can get better. Eight, very brief. I move. It's 10 after 12. I'm as hungry as you are. I didn't eat either. First thing God wants you to do is to guard your heart and your mouth. Does that help anybody? You are what you speak. And if you get up and say, this is a lousy day, I got a lousy job, I got a lousy husband, I got a lousy car, I got a lousy life, it's probably not going to be a very good day. But when you wake up realizing yesterday is over, the promises of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And if you just chose to just begin to speak some good things, you know what? I thank God that I have a car. I thank God that I have a job. I thank God that I'm alive. And I thank God something good is going to happen to me today because I love the Lord. I've shunned the wrong. I'm trying to do the right. I believe God's going to chase me down and bless me because that's what the word says. So you guard your heart, and you, and you don't disqualify yourself by the things that come out of your mouth. The second thing that you need to, to do is to honor your parents, your peers, and your pastors. 
the, the generations through the shifting of time has come to a place where they have forgotten to honor their parents. I mean, I mean, your 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 father may abandon you. My, your father may have may have slapped your mom. Your mom may abandon you. Your mom may be on drugs, but you know what? They didn't abort you. You're here today because they carried you full term. Somebody financed you coming into the world. Someone gave you a name. Someone gave you an opportunity. I don't care if the worst parents in the whole world. You don't have to honor their past or honor what they've done against you. You honor the fact that they brought you into this life and gave you a chance. I'm teaching as well as you're nodding. Thank you. I appreciate that. There's a reason why we honor one another. There's a re reason why we respect one another. There's a reason why we pray with one another. Iron sharpens iron. Deep calleth the deep. Let me tell you about anointing in this house. When God saved me, I want to talk about the drugs that I was doing. God saved me on a Sunday night. I was doing an incredible amount of drugs the, all the wrong way. That Monday morning, I got out of bed at 6.30. I went to my garage and I found my nail bags and I found my 28-ounce hammer and my 25-foot tech measure and my chalk box. And I went to a job that contractors were using my license to do the job. And I walked on the job and I told the foreman, I want, to, I want to frame today. He knew I was burnt out on drugs. He knew I lost everything. But he saw something about me he would not seen in a while. And that day I worked from 7 in the morning to 3.30. I took the breaks I was supposed to take. I worked all day long. I didn't go through. you got to realize I've just come off some serious coke. Some serious Valium, some serious Demerol. I did not lose. I didn't lose one hour of sleep. I didn't sweat. I didn't perspire. I was not nauseated. I went through absolutely no withdrawal. Stay with me. The past 31 years, without exception, the kids that have come to hang out with me to get off drugs have not sweated one sweat, have not been nauseated, have not thrown up, have not lost an hour of work. And there's hands right now going up that confirms that that is what God did for them. Deep calleth to deep. Your gifts and talents, God uses you. Say with me, God wants you to practice on one another. God, husbands, God wants you to practice on your wife, and wife, let him. Don't laugh when he prays those little piddly, weak prayers. We're new at this. You're the prayer warriors. You're the ones that pray the kids through smallpox and bullies and everything else. We've been out fishing and hunting. We didn't have a clue what was going on. But we're trying to learn. Give us a chance. John Lennon said so well. All we're saying is... He said, give peace a chance. I'm saying, give us a chance. Give us a chance to step up the plate and be the dad and the husband father we're supposed to be. The third thing that we need to, we need to do, I already shared this. Know that the promises of God are new every morning. It's okay to say, you know what? This has not been a good week. I've not made good decisions. I've done some dumb things. But the liquid paper of the blood of Jesus has eradicated, erased all my mistakes, all my failures, and today I'm brand new. I'm brand new. I'm a child of the Father. I'm born of God. I'm adopted. I'm an heir. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a walking miracle. Maybe I didn't do all that well yesterday, but watch out because I'm going to do good today. The fourth thing that we need to focus on if we can is to know you can't ever start over, but you can always start again. Can't ever go back to the mother's womb. Jesus told Nicodemus that. You can't, you, you, you can't ever, you can't undo the bad stuff you did. You can't make stuff go away. I mean, I mean, memory, memory at times can be a wound. Your past can, can be a wound. 
But know this, no matter how bad you failed as an as a, as employee, no matter how bad you failed as a husband, as a dad, as a father, as a Christian, you can begin again. You can make a decision and say, I am going to start again. I am going to make good decisions, and eventually the good times, Led Zeppelin said it so well, good times, bad times, you don't have my share. Here's what happens in the life of a drug addict. When they get healed and cleansed and start having good days, good holidays, good encounters with Christ, good moments in restoration and healing, all of a sudden, their mind is filled with all the good things that God has done. They don't rehearse the bad anymore. They don't go to the diary anymore. They don't go to the journal anymore. They don't let the devil tell them that they're a loser or a liar or a drug addict or alcoholic. They are brand new by the blood of Jesus. And if you're good enough for Jesus, you're good enough for me. Yeah. Amen. The fifth thing that you need to insist upon is to finish what you start. I love that movie, What About Bob? The, 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 the book on baby steps. Little things. Bite off things. Not <laughs> a great movie. That's a great movie. I think I'll watch that on our next road trip. <laughs> I, love, I, always felt, I always felt, seriously, you guys have been around me. I always felt that Bill Murray was called to be an evangelist. I always felt that. Bill, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase, I felt like we're both called to be evangelists. I mean, and who knows what God can still do in their life. But, but my notes here say, be excellent in little things. Be excellent in little things. Right now, Brad has taken on the marquee ministry. Everybody has an opinion what the marquee should say, what it should do. So Brad's going to have, boy, matter of fact, Brad went to a great deal of trouble, heard from God, got divine inspiration, put his thought on both sides, and then Pastor Connie said, can we say something about kids camp? So Brad had took everything off and put what Pastor Connie wanted to say, and that's okay. He did both jobs well. Listen, we never have time to do it right. We always have time to do it over. Does that help you? Do it right the first time, then you'll have more time to take on something else. And it doesn't have to be, listen guys, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Find out the number one gripe of your mom, issues the room, hello, and just upon your own with no, no, clean your room. Prepare your mom before you take her in because she's liable to have a heart attack and die on you to raise her up from the dead. And we do that. We, we're qualified for that. Little things. Just little, just little, little, little commitment to little things and do it and do it well. Number six. Know that you can change. August 18th, two days ago, 1979, I married the wife of my youth. Right out of high school, a year and a half of hell, she divorced, came here. We divorced three years. You know the story. I am living proof that you can change. I am living proof that drugs is not going to destroy you. You're not going to die of alcoholism. God is going to heal. God's going to turn around. And when you look down the road, the best is yet to come. I promise you, the best is yet to come. Number seven, there's a song that we, we sing, and had I really, had Seth not already shined, I probably would have went on the piano and sang that song, but you guys know the song, it's, change my heart, oh God, make it ever new, change my heart, oh God, may I be like you, 
You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I say. Change my heart, O oh God. You can change your heart. It's by putting good stuff in and ignoring the bad stuff the enemy wants to remind you of. It's by putting good. Find out what the word of God has to say about you. Underline it. Highlight it. I told someone yesterday, got a word from Billy Burke. I said, have you wrote it out? No, we'll write it out. Put it on the dash of your car. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your trunk. Put it in your briefcase. Remind yourself what God thinks about you. Remind yourself what God says about you. And you can change your heart. And number eight, I wrote this down five minutes before I came out of the lobby. And it simply says, be faithful in your time, your talent, and your tithe. Be faithful. Listen, I'm going to blow some of you away. There's a day coming. I'll be standing right there next to you. You realize that. If you're a part of this house and you're supposed to be here, the Bible says that one day you and I will stand together. And God will ask me as your pastor, as your shepherd, how they do. And, of course, I'm standing for God. I'll have to tell the truth. But I will share with the Lord how faithful you were, the things you did for the glory of God. Then God's going to look at you and say, you were faithful over little. Because you were faithful over little, what are, what are some of the little? How hard is it to bring a box of cereal and a jar of peanut butter every Sunday morning? How hard is that? How hard is it to be faithful in our time and add a little for offering? Christine approached me this morning a few minutes before church and said, can I have $5? Well, I didn't have 5 I had 100 and she knew I had 100 she'd get it. I have $5. I said, what do you want $5 for? For the offering. I love that attitude. She, come, to, come to the house of God with something to give the Lord. A song, a testimony, something. Write him a love note, something. Do, do something. Be faithful and give, give God an hour. Yesterday I told four guys, listen, we got a chance tomorrow to go help a widow. Two guys stayed home, two guys went. We worked hard. I didn't like it. The stuff we were doing is not stuff I like to do. There's a stack of bricks and there were little tiny bricks and they were all compacted with, with mud and dirt. And it was a tough job sitting on the porch, drinking iced tea, watching those guys wheelbarrow those bricks. I mean, it was, Court and I were sitting there. I felt for them. I, I saw they weren't perspiring. They were sweating. I mean, they were, the sweat was coming down. And then Brian took on the blower, and he blew the whole driveway down to Interstate 11, turned right, and did the, the, the freeway for about a mile before he realized that he was on somebody else's property. They gave their day. To a widow. They gave their day to a mom that's been abandoned. This church is her hope. This church is her anchor. This church is her security. We're praying with her. We're believing God for a miracle. But sometimes you can do a little bit more than pray. You go paint the bedroom. You can donate a twin bed. You can throw in a, a tank of gas. You can do something with your time. And there's talents that you have for God that you can do something with that. So, can we conclude? This will be my only conclusion. Wendy, you want to come play something cool? Wendy and I are working on a song, Credence Clearwater. We'll try to have it before the month's over. Early 1900s. Horrible fire. Chicago. Precious man of God put his wife and four children on board a steamer. 
In those days, there were no planes. There were no fast ships, just cargo ships that traveled 10, 15, 20 miles, 20 knots an hour. On the way to Europe, ship encounters a horrible storm. A few hours later, this precious man gets a telegram from his wife. Two words. Saved alone. All four kids drowned. Immediately got on the next ship, headed towards his wife. He made a request to the captain. The captain, we get to the place where my kids lost their life. Will you come get me? About three o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on the door, and the captain was there and said, Hey, we're approaching the place where the storm hit the ship, and your family was lost. He walked out that night. It was a calm night. Stood there on the rail had something in his pocket, pulled it out, scrap piece of paper and a pen, he wrote these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my plight, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Sometimes keeping the bubble in the middle, there's going to be hurts. There's going to be pains. Good times, bad times. Good days, bad days. But when you realize He is our shepherd, we don't want for refreshment because He makes us to lie down in green pastures. We don't want for comfort, for, for goodness and mercy follows us all the day of our life. And we don't want eternally because we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is well with your soul. God is in control. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. I felt like there were two or three today that just need to hear this word. You're away from God. You're going through a storm. You're not where you need to be spiritually. God wants to take this moment just to lay his hand on your heart. 